0: This we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mack and today's show, the FCC's message for Facebook and a possible space crash in Silicon Valley. But first, holding cities ransom. So last Friday, the city government of New Orleans shut down. Not at 5 p.m. like it would on a normal Friday, but hours earlier after the detection of a cyber attack in its municipal computer network. What the city referred to as, quote, an abundance of caution resulted in all of its computer networks, internal and external, being taken offline. City offices, the physical ones, were closed, and even the official New Orleans homepage was unavailable. Now, New Orleans officials say there is no evidence that actual information was compromised, but not all of its systems are back online yet. And the overall episode reflects the vulnerabilities of city governments to cyber intrusions at a time when more and more of their services, including vital, sometimes life-saving information, are being provided virtually. One thing missing here from the New Orleans attack was a so-called request for ransom, which is when a hacker demands money to put everything back to normal. But ransomware attacks against U.S. cities and towns are more common than you might think and often very difficult to navigate by the numbers here barracuda networks reported in september that 50 u.s cities and towns had seen ransomware attacks so far in 2019 and a more recent report from a company called mcsoft puts the number north of 100 and that latter report expands the figure to 950 if you also include educational and healthcare systems now when it comes with how to deal with these attacks there are no easy answers. On the one hand, you don't want to encourage future intrusions by paying off the hackers. But on the other hand, the ransoms are often cheaper than not paying them and then having to fix the damage, a lesson that many corporations have learned and begun to heed. The bottom line here is that what happened in New Orleans could well be coming to a city or town near you. And it seems that the best possible solution in these cases, at least for now, is to pull the plug. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Cities editor, Kim Hart. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios City's editor, Kim Hart. Do cities and other local government entities usually actually know when their systems are being attacked?
1: Uh, not really. In fact, the International City and County Management Association found that about thirty percent of local governments don't know how often their systems are attacked, and the ones that do know say that sixty percent are being attacked on a daily, if not an hourly, basis. So they know they're being attacked; they may not even know how often, though.
0: You look at the s- situation in New Orleans, and, and obviously, we don't still know a huge amount about the actual intrusion, except say it must have been more significant than you know, probably you know, some kid you know getting into the system because they decide to basically take everything offline. From your perspective, was that prudent? In other words, did New Orleans do the right thing, kind of this abundance of caution strategy?
1: I think probably so. I mean, I think that the guidance coming out of federal and state governments is to, if you see any sort of suspicious activity, take everything down, disconnect from the network and try to troubleshoot. It sounds like this troubleshooting is taking longer than they expected, even as of an update on NOLA.com late last night and early this morning, a lot of systems are still still down. Police are recording incidents manually. They had to put up a temporary website so that people could still do other city business. And most of it is coming down to pen and paper. And the city council meeting on Thursday is likely to be impacted as well. So that suggests that they are expecting it to take upwards of a week to figure out what actually went down and how to fix it. But I think in a city like New Orleans that's used to, you know, they have had their fair share of disasters and emergencies to deal with. I think they are used to going with with the abundance of caution route and trying to be as careful as possible until they uh, sniff out every corner.
0: Is it fair to say that these attacks, uh, both serious and not as serious, are on the rise?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that cities and local and county governments are increasingly targets. I think hackers assume, rightly or not, that these city governments are lower staffed than corporations, probably don't have as much IT and technically skilled workers who have a lot of cybersecurity training and not and are up on all of the latest trends and technological patches to help protect cities and systems from this kind of intrusion. And so they're becoming easy targets. Corporations are definitely the top targets because they have money and are often more willing to pay the ransomware attacks. But they also have more talent and more skilled workers to draw on and to help guard their systems from these kinds of intrusions. So I think that one of the biggest problems that city and local governments are facing right now is that they just they have a harder time recruiting and retaining the kind of talent that they really need to help keep their systems secure in the most robust way.
0: You mentioned ransomware, and, and let me ask about that. There's no indication there was a ransom request in this particular case in New Orleans, but right. there often are in attacks on municipal systems. And there seems to be a split philosophy here. Part of it is the whole we don't negotiate with terrorists philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. We can't pay a ransom because if it gets out and becomes made public, which it probably will because it's a payment from a public entity, then that's just going to encourage others to attack our system. The other argument is it often is cheaper to pay off the ransom rather than having to rebuild your entire system. Are either one of those philosophies seeming to win out right now?
1: You know, it's really hard to say which one is winning out. I do think that there is evidence to show that the argument that if you pay a ransomware attacker, then that just encourages that activity to continue experts out there have said well it's not really encouraging a market because the market's already there it's clear that the market is there in the increasing number of ransomware attacks however for some cities the best response might be to pay the ransom then use the millions of dollars that would have been spent on recovering the systems after that to strengthen the cyber defenses before the next attack so that they're more prepared going forward but a lot of cities you know Atlanta and Baltimore have been hit Baltimore chose not to pay the ransom and it might cost upward of 20 Twenty million dollars to restore the systems, which is significantly more than what the ransom was in the first place. Yeah, think, the ransom was like
0: seventy-five thousand right? dollars, right? I think something so like so.
1: Really, I, th- I think that there, but it really just depends on I think what the city council decides to do and what their particular resident base, you know, really feels strongly about, since they really, you know, they're elected officials and they're trying to do what their citizens like.
0: What's the federal role in this, if any? Obviously, we're talking here about local governments, municipal governments, but we're also talking about a lack of money and, and a lack of technological resource. Is there a federal role here, so, what is it? I, I know there's apparently this, this so-called zero-trust pilot program. What can and should the federal government be doing?
1: I think what the federal government is doing more of is trying to be more of a resource for these governments that just don't have the same amount of resources that the federal government does. I mean, for the federal government also has a hard time, compared to corporations, of attracting the same amount of technical talent, but when you're talking about the intelligence community and the NSA and whatnot, they do have a huge amount of expertise to draw from. And so the federal government is moving into the direction of zero trust, as you mentioned. And what that is, it operates on the assumption that anything outside a corporate network is a security risk. So anything that comes outside or even inside that might be a little bit amiss is considered suspicious and at risk. So administrators are using new precautions like end-to-end encryption, multi-factor authentication, identity access management, and analytics to control access. Now, none of that probably sounds new to anyone who works in a corporation, but it is still fairly new at, the city level. And so what I think uh, we're going to see more of is the federal government trying to not necessarily mandate specific activities like this, but strongly encouraging it and providing more and more training and resources.
0: So it sounds like cities need to beef up, but also keep a bunch of pen and paper handy if that doesn't work. (laughs) Kim Hart, editor of Axios Cities, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Facebook, which may not have to wait long for new and very significant government regulation. As first reported by the Wall Street Journal, the Federal Trade Commission is considering an immediate move to block the company from integrating the back end infrastructure of its three messaging platforms, which are Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, and Instagram. Why this matters is that Facebook's original decision to merge the three was viewed by some as a preemptive move against DC under the old mantra that it's harder to unwind a merger once it's completed. And Facebook is desperately afraid of being forced to divorce its big blue app from either of its sister apps. So is racing to make them technologically inseparable. Now the FCC isn't yet commenting publicly, but were it to move forward, it would have to do it this way. First, ask for an injunction against Facebook in federal court, and in court, demonstrate to the judge that harm to consumers is likely if Facebook proceeds with its integration plans. The tricky part here will be proving harm to consumers, given that Facebook's products are free. And finally, a company called Vector Launch on Friday filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, which some view as the first possible crack in a recent boom of small satellite launch companies. Vector had raised over $90 million in venture capital funding since being formed in 2016, including by arguably the most venerated venture firm of all time, Sequoia Capital. But this past summer, Sequoia quietly decided to stop investing, with a source saying that it felt Vector was spending too much money and not meeting enough of its own projections. That decision may have led to two of Vector's lenders opting against providing new lines of credit, thus leading to around 150 layoffs and the bankruptcy filing. In short, make your numbers or else you risk crashing. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great Barbie and Barney backlash day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another ProRata podcast.